The scripture for today's sermon comes from 1 Corinthians 14, 1 through 5. The word of God speaks to us. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that in the church, so that church may be built up. This is God's word to us. Good morning. Hey, if we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Jeff Nine. I'm one of the pastors here. And, uh, and we've, got, we've got some fun work to do today. I, I'm really excited to dive into these verses with you and ask God to, uh, to teach us. If you're here and uh, you're, this is your first time, welcome. We, we'd love to, to get to know you. If you've got any questions, love to process with you. If you're here and you're not a Christian, I want to say specifically thank you. Thanks for being here. It means a lot to us when people may come in and maybe they don't necessarily know all that's happening, but they're, they're willing to come and engage and, and talk. And so I'm just glad you're here. And if you have any questions, the stuff we're going to talk about, when, when we, what we believe is that God works in miraculous ways and supernatural ways, and that may seem kind of strange to, 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 uh, to your ears. And if that is, let's talk. Um, we'd love to, love to dialogue. So any questions you have that come out of today? Uh, and, and I'll say that too. Many of us are Christians for a long time, and you may come out of this going, I got questions too. We can talk about those as well. Like, I want us to actually move into this, what, what Paul's going to call us to. I want us to move into this together uh, over the next couple of weeks. So I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to ask you to pray for me. We've got work to do. Uh, so God, would you speak to us? Would you, would you meet us? God, when we looked months ago at, at, at Jesus' words in John 16 um, to say that it was better that he went, re- ascended and went to the Father that he might send the Spirit, it would be better for us to have the Spirit of God with us than to have Jesus side by side with us. We actually want to take that seriously. And I don't understand that. I don't understand that. But I'm asking you to give us eyes to see the beauty of the truth that you declare and the beauty of the things that you're calling us to. Work in us today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Right after Easter this year, we, so if you haven't been with us for a while, we've been walking through 1 Corinthians for a while now. We started this last year, and we've just been going verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through this book, asking what God is saying to us by this letter of Paul writing to the church at Corinth. And it's been a beautiful journey. And there's been a lot that we've talked about, and there's been a lot of things. Well, we're right now in the middle of a section, chapters 12 to 14, towards the end of the book, in which Paul is going to talk about spiritual gifts. What are they? What does it mean to be a church filled with the Spirit of God? What does it mean to, to, to receive these gifts? And there's a lot of questions and a lot of things that emerge uh, out of that that, um, that Paul is pointing us to. And so I want to encourage you that if you've missed some of the weeks uh, since Easter, I would encourage you to go back and listen to some of the sermons because they're all connected to help us understand how these gifts are good for us. They're good gifts from a good God for us. Well, the next three weeks, we're going to finish out this section, these verses 12 to 14. Over the next three weeks, today we're going to look particularly 
at what does it look like uh, to, to understand the what and the why of spiritual gifts by looking primarily at these two gifts that Paul talks about here, tongues and prophecy. Now, for some of you in the room, you're like, I, can I exit now? And some of you are like, yes, finally. So for both of you, I want to go, hey, I, I think we've got some work to do, and I'm really eager to do this, and I want us to hear what Paul has to say to us. Um, and so we're going we're gonna to step into that this week. Next week, we're going to look about what mature Godly maturity looks like in terms of our hunger, our pursuit, and our use of the gifts. And then the next week, we're going we're gonna to wrap up by looking at how the gifts are to function in the gathering of the church. But before we dive into this text particularly, I want to remind us of a few things that we have learned and that have emerged through the text as we've walked through these chapters together over the last two months. So I just want to remind us this. The scripture has told us that, number one, all spiritual gifts that God gave the church are still for us today. There are some that would believe that the gifts were given to the early church and then they faded away or God didn't need them anymore or we didn't need them anymore and they, they faded. But, but the clear teaching of scripture is that, no, no, these gifts are given to the church until Christ comes again. That's what we looked at last week. The second thing I want to remind us of is that the text is very clear. Bryce led us through this. All believers are given gifts. All believers are given gifts. Now, maybe you know what the, your, some of those gifts are. Maybe you don't. But God, actually, if you're a follower of Jesus, the Spirit of God has worked in you and placed things in you to, that you use to serve others. Third, no one person receives all the gifts. If you're like, I got all the, bingo, all the, the things on the bingo card. I filled the whole thing out. No, you didn't. We need to have a different conversation. You see, God gave, gives different gifts to different people to pull us together as a body. I need some of you, and I need all of you in this room, but I need particularly some of the gifts that are in this room that I don't have, and you need some gifts that I have. We need one another. Not one of us have all the gifts, but all of us have received gifts. Also, we've learned from Scripture that no one gift is given to all people. Paul talks about this. He goes, do all do this? No. Do all speak like this? No. Not all, there's no one gift that all are given. And then finally, I want to remind us, and this is going to be the emphasis of a lot of today, we are called by God, commissioned by God through Paul in this word to desire spiritual gifts. Listen to me, that's not an option. That's a command. We are to desire these things. Now, any of you feel nervous? Any of you feel excited? I want you to bring your excitement or your nervousness to this, and let's ask God to help us understand these good gifts that are given to us. We may, and I may end up creating more questions and answers today, but hey, that's my job. Okay, you guys ready? I want to start with my personal experience, not because it maps onto all of your alls, but I want to tell you kind of what my journey has looked through this, because each of us encounter these gifts in real life. Now, each of our encounters with them may look different, but my, my experience with, um, with spiritual gifts was, I felt like I was straddling two worlds for much of my growing up. I grew up in the church. My parents uh, were active in our local church. We were, I think we were in the church building uh, longer and more often than the pastor who lived in the parsonage 100 feet away. I, I mean, like, I think we opened the church, closed the church, and, uh, and, and he went back and took a nap and we hung out. So like, I grew up in the church. 
But the church that I grew up in and churches that I had good friends with that I encountered or that I would go to their youth group or their youth camp with occasionally, uh, many of them were either, either theologically or functionally what we would call a cessationist. They didn't believe that the spiritual gifts were still for the church today. They believed that those gifts, while given to the early church, have actually ceased in their function today. Now, maybe they didn't actually believe that, but they lived that way. That was one world. The gifts were, you didn't talk about them, unless you talk negatively about why they were bad. The other world I grew up in was, uh, let me just say, they weren't just charismatic, it was hyper-charismatic. I grew up in, in areas like, you've probably seen some things on TV that just look strange. Yeah, I was in the middle of the room, surrounded by it. I was watching people bark like dogs, fall down on the floor, convulse. They were, there was just raucous everywhere, all in the name of following and walking after the Spirit. So I found myself straddled between these two things. And here's what happened. Over time, over time, I began to be put off by both of them. I was really put off by the cessationist crowd because it just didn't, be, it didn't feel like they functioned or lived life assuming that the power of God was real and was going to meet them in their life. And I was put off by the other because it felt like spectacle. And many people that I saw pursuing these things, their lives didn't change. There was, there was no, it didn't feel like there was any real encounter. It felt like a lot of showing off and a lot of spectacle. And so I found myself going, I don't know what to do with this. And to my shame, that experience slowly led me to disdain the gifts. I began to disdain them. Even if I thought they were maybe theoretically good things, I actually didn't want anything to do with them. It felt like gifts were nothing but a stumbling block. To one group, it was something to complain about, and to one group, it was something to flaunt. And I just didn't want anything to do with it. And so I pulled back and began to disdain the gifts, and that disdain slowly began to actually turn into neglect. That gifts that the Lord had given me early on, that I had felt the Lord use me to minister to other people, I'd begin to neglect them. I'd pushed them to the side, thought, that can't be real. I'm not sure what to do with that. I can't trust this. I'm scared of it. And I began to shove things off at a distance. I went to the biblical text, and here's what I tried to do. I tried to believe that the gifts had ceased. That was just going to be cleaner. It was going to be easier. And you know what? I read 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, and I read Acts. And I read Galatians, and I read Romans, and I realized, I can't believe that. The gifts are for us. And what I had to encounter in my heart is, do I believe that these are good, God, good gifts from a good God, or do I not? And after studying the scriptures, I couldn't deny these were good gifts given to us from a good God for now. So that led me into a spot of, what do I do with this? I was confronted by the plain teaching of Scripture. And what I began to realize is over time, it wasn't overnight, but over time, my neglect began to turn into hunger. Simply because I looked at the text and saw that these are good gifts from a good God given for us, began to turn my neglect into hunger. And over time, that hunger turned into pursuit. And for the last decade of my life, I've been trying to ask the Lord, what does it mean? to walk in these gifts? What does it mean to receive these gifts? What is, it, what is the good thing that you want to give us in these gifts? And this has been a journey over 
the last decade for me. I don't know where you're at. I don't know if that experience maps onto your experience. I don't know what's similar and what's different. But I want to invite you to open your hands and ask the Lord to give you a good gift, to understand what these gifts are and why they're for us. There's three goals I have this morning. The first is I want to demystify spiritual gifts. I want to demystify the spiritual gifts. I think some of us have been taught to believe that spiritual gifts are like advanced calculus for super Christians. This is not true. If anything, it's quite the opposite. Spiritual gifts are actually for the people that are hungry, needy, and don't know enough. That sounds like me. You in? I don't mean to offend you, but you're in. The second thing I want us to, to do is learn to distinguish between good weird and bad weird. I say that because the Spirit of God does stuff that I can't explain. He does things I don't understand. And I'm not going to try to apologize for that. I'm not going to apologize for the fact that, that there are things that when we experience the transcendent God encountering our lives, it's just not going to go according to plan for many of us. There's a weirdness, a strangeness, an, an, unworld, an, an, un, an otherworldliness, a supernaturalness to the gifts. But there's also a bad weird. Much of what I grew up experiencing was just bad weird. It was like just stuff for the sake of stuff. And no, no, gift, no one was actually accountable for the gifts. No one actually brought those things and in, in compared them against Scripture. It was just let's chase after weird, weirdness for the sake of weirdness. The Spirit's job is not to create a spectacle. The Spirit's job is to point us to Jesus. I want to say that again. The Spirit's job is not to create a spectacle. The Spirit's job is to lead us to Jesus. And these gifts are given that we might see Jesus. And then third, one of my goals, I want to lead us in a pursuit of spiritual gifts. If these are good gifts from a good God, then Frontline Yukon, we should want them and pursue them. We should want them and pursue them. So what I want us to do is today, I want us to look at what is the gift of tongues? That's in our first. Second, I want to look at what is the gift of prophecy? So I want us to just toss, what are these things? And then third, I want us to ask, why are these gifts so important to us? Not to Corinth, but to us. Okay? Let's look at 1 Corinthians 14, starting in verse 1. Paul's word to Corinth. And because of the Spirit in pulling us in the Scripture, this is God's word to us. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him. But he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now listen to this. This is, this is Paul to us. Now I want you all to speak in tongues but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now, we're going to have to move pretty fast through this. And I expect that there will be more questions come. Some of the questions we're going to deal with next week, some we'll deal with the week after that, and some are going to be us pursuing this over not just weeks and not just months, but years together. Okay? So as you have questions, let's continue. We're not going to hit all the questions, or we're not going to be able to address all the questions today. So I want to start with what I think is a helpful summary statement of what the gift of tongues is from our good friend, Dr. Sam Storms. Dr. Storms says it this way. The gift of tongues is simply 
the Spirit energized, ability to pray, worship, give thanks, or speak in a language other than your own or one you might have learned in school. Now, in one sense, that's very clear. In another sense, there's a lot of questions that emanate out of that. But fundamentally, if we're looking at the gift of tongues, we're saying it's this spirit-energized ability to pray, worship, give thanks, or speak in a language that we don't know. Now, this gift shows up multiple times in the New Testament. We see this in Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit first descends upon the apostles in Jerusalem. We see it in Acts 10, when, uh, when, when the, the, the gospel goes to the Gentiles, and, and the Jewish leaders at the time realize, like, oh, wait, actually God loves the Gentiles too, not just the Jews. And, and the Spirit of God descends as a way of confirming a sign that he was, he was the one that was doing that work, and they begin to speak in tongues. And later in chapter 19, there's this weird passage where some disciples of John the Baptist who had heard about Jesus had gone out on mission, had gone out and were telling people about what was happening and came back and they hadn't heard all the rest of the story. They hadn't heard that Jesus was resurrected yet. They hadn't heard about the coming of the Spirit. And, these, and, and some of the, the apostles encountered them like, hey, have you been baptized with the Holy Spirit? They're like, no, we received John's baptism in water. He's like, hey, I got to tell you something else. And they were baptized with the Spirit and they began to speak in tongues. We see in Romans 8 and Ephesians 6, some things that aren't specifically about tongues, but they're really adjacent and close to this understanding of tongues. But the clearest teaching we have of tongues is right here in this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 14, chapters 12 to 14. So I want us to look right now at three things that Paul says about this gift in this passage, and then we'll uncover some more next week. Okay, the first is this, that tongues are two God. Tongues are language or speech to God. Look at chapter, the first part of chapter 2, or t- chapter two, verse 2. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. I don't know what your experience with tongues is, if you have any experience or not, but I've seen lots of things that presented themselves as tongues, and then it was like, thus saith the Lord. I'm like, actually, that's not what the Bible tells us. Tongues is is towards God. It's God we're directed. It, it shows up in a couple of different ways. One is it shows up in prayer and petition. I think I can probably go out on a limb here and suggest that many of you have had this experience. I've had. There have been longings and aches in my soul that I'm longing to pray for, and I just can't find the words. I'm bringing a desperation. I'm bringing a longing. I'm bringing a hope. I'm bringing something that's unfulfilled and I just can't even put it into words. I don't know how to pray. I stumble over my words. Hey, like, guys, can we just own that there are things that are happening in our encounter with God that just transcend words? They transcend our ability to cognitively parse things in, in linguistic patterns. We, we wrestle with this. And, and one of the ways that tongues is a gift to us is it actually gives expression. And then we trust that the Spirit of God is using that expression to intercede on our behalf. That actually the Spirit translates, in one sense, our prayers and prays them for us. That's one way. A second way is extolling the goodness of who God is. There are times when I, I, feel so, I feel so filled with gratitude for who God is or so caught up in the wonder of who he is that I can't, like, I'm trying to talk about how wonderful he is and I just keep using the same words and I don't know how to express it. And there comes a moment when I run out of words to express who he is. And tongues is an ability to now pro- proclaim in a way that I don't fully understand. These are expressions to God. 
The second is their mysteries in the Spirit. Look at the, first, or the second half of verse 2. When it says, for no one understands them, he utters mysteries in the spirit. Now, this may seem a little bit strange. Like, how could that be good? How could that be, how could that be a net positive? Like, why speak in tongues? Like, why not just be silent and you get the same benefit? And let me just say this. We are embodied be- spiritual beings. There is, there, we are not spiritual over here and physical over here. We are holistic beings. And sometimes those two pieces pull together in such a way that I am expressing things in my spirit that come out in physical expression. Hands raised, prayer in tongues, things like this that I, I simply don't know what to do other than to express what's happening. These things are mysteries in the Spirit, but the Spirit is not unaware. The Spirit knows. God knows by His Spirit what's in our hearts. He knows what is being expressed. Third, he says this, that uh, tongue speaking is, for build, is intended to build up the one who is speaking. Look at verse 4, the, verse, the, yeah, the beginning of verse 4. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. Is actually intended for edification. You may go, I don't, I don't fully understand it. Well, I would love for you to spend some time talking with somebody who prays in tongues and ask what that experience is like. Because it's hard to put that in words. Tongues itself is an expression that is, is an experience and it actually stirs your soul, edifies your soul in ways that are hard to put to words. It's deeply experiential. So there's some things that come out of this, like questions like, are tongues actual human languages? Well, not generally. Not generally. They were in Acts 2. They maybe, maybe God has done this at other times. But most of the time, the way the Scripture talks about this is it doesn't say that these are simply human languages that I haven't learned, but that they're expressions. And in 1 Corinthians 13 uh, talks about uh, whether I speak in tongues of men or tongues of angels. What are tongues of angels? I don't know. I really just don't fully understand that. But there's some sense in which communication is happening in a spiritual level, in a spiritual way, that transcends. Are these tongues ecstatic? I remember when I was growing up and I first heard about tongues, I just assumed that what that meant was like, at a certain point, you were essentially possessed. Spirit grabbed a hold of you, grabbed a hold of your tongues, flapping, and was like, I'm out of control, I don't know what's happening. It's not what it is. Paul tells us that it's very clear in the rest of this chapter, like, hey, there's a moment to pray in tongues and there's a moment not to pray in tongues. And sometimes you need to, your, your, your use will control based on the, on the situation you're in. Tongues is not some, some, you being possessed by a spirit. It's giving utterance to things that the God's doing in your spirit. What about interpretation? Well, that's a really big question, a really important question. We're going to get to that one next week. And then there's a question I think a lot of people have. Can everybody or who can have this gift? There's a couple things I think we need to acknowledge. The first is this. That in chapter 12, Paul says very clearly, do all speak in tongues? And his answer is no. So do all speak in tongues? No. I used to believe that that meant that we should only pursue the gift if we had been given the gift. But I'm also like, kind of, how do you know you have the gift if you don't pursue the gift? I think Paul here, when he says, I wish that all of you would speak in tongues, he's inviting all of us to move towards this. I, I can't say this for certain. But I also think that if the Lord has placed in you a stirring desire to move towards the gift of tongues, he's actually going to meet you at that. And so let's talk about what does it look like to pursue this gift as individuals and pursue it as a church. 
There's a couple of things I think we can say about what's happening when we pray, sing, or speak in tongues. The first is that we're bringing our deepest prayers and our deepest praises to our God. That I'm giving utterance to things that I can't fully encapsulate easily in words. There's some sense in which those desires, those longings, those adorations seem to outpace my words, and I'm bringing that to God. Second, it's actually giving utterance to these things. It's bringing that burden to the Lord and then embodying that longing by actually speaking in, in these, these, this, these tongues. I think third, it teaches us to trust the Spirit to intercede on our behalf. Can I just, can I just make a really provocative statement real quick? The Spirit's better at praying than you are. It just is. He teaches us how to pray. He intercedes for us when we don't know how to pray. He prays through us sometimes. And Romans 8 talks about this, where I don't think it's specifically only talking about tongues, but I think it includes tongues. It says that he intercedes for us in through groans that are too hard, that are, that are just too deep for words. And I think lastly, I think it teaches us to trust the Spirit to edify us. I need the Spirit of God to meet me. And this is one of the ways in which he does. So let me caution us not to disregard Paul's words because we don't understand, but actually to move towards this gift. So that's tongues. What's prophecy? Again, I'm going to go back to my friend Dr. Storms and say this. Prophecy is the human report of a divine revelation. Prophecy is the human report of a divine revelation. This is not you with a hot take. This is not you with some wisdom that you have to offer and you're just going to like attribute God to it. That's not what prophecy is. Prophecy is also not new scripture. We're going to talk about that here in just a second. It's not new scripture. He's not like, hey, I forgot some stuff. Write this one down. It's not what's happening. When we prophesy, we're attempting to communicate to others, listen, what God has spoken to us. We're attempting to communicate to others what God has spoken to us. Sometimes he brings a scripture to our mind that we don't quite understand why it's needed in that moment for that person. But then I share that and the Lord meets us in that moment. Sometimes he brings visions. Sometimes he brings words. Sometimes he brings phrases. You see, prophecy, sometimes I think we get hung up because we think when we hear prophecy here and we know about the prophets in the Old Testament, we equate the two. And that's actually not what's happening. Prophecy in the New Testament functions quite differently than the prophets were functioning in the Old Testament. The prophets in the Old Testament were functioning as, as, as representatives of God speaking his de- declared word to a people that did not have a canon in front of them. And it's speaking things from God that actually would become scripture. Much of what's happening in the prophets is that. That's not what's happening in the New Testament. Well, we get this picture in Acts 2 about what the Spirit of God does through prophecy in, after the coming of the Spirit. Look at Acts 2, verse 17. This is, this is Peter preaching after Pentecost to the masses in Jerusalem. He says, And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall 
prophesy. It's a promise out of the Old Testament that, that, Paul, that Peter recognizes is for that moment. How do I know that this New Testament prophecy functions differently than the Old Testament? It's because I have the rest of the New Testament to help me understand. Look at 1 Thessalonians. This is Paul giving instruction to another church that he had helped plant, the church at Thessalonica. And in chapter 5, verse 9, 19 through 21, he says this. Listen very carefully. This is Paul. Do not quench the Spirit. Pretty, pretty straightforward, huh? Do not despise prophecies. I just love how clear he is. He's not like, hey, let's have a conversation. He's like, no, don't do it. Don't despise the Spirit. Don't despise prophecies. But test everything. Hold fast to what is good. You see, there's a sense in which as God uh, speaks and brings prophetic words through the body, the body actually holds those things together and compares them to Scripture to see if it lines up. What prophetic words are are under Scripture in that sense. Again, the clearest teaching we have on, on prophecy is from 1 Corinthians, these, these same chapters. So let's look at verse 3 and realize that prophecy, where tongues was to God, prophecy is to others. Looking at the beginning of chapter, uh, verse 3. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people. You see, ultimately it is God speaking through us to others. That's what prophecy is. Second, we see in the, in the, the second half of that verse that he, God is speaking through us to others, uh, or God, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. You see, the purpose of prophecy is not a, thus saith the Lord, I have something new to share with you. It is a reminder of his goodness. It is a reminder of his gospel. It is a reminder of the truth that he has declared in his scripture applied to the particular, in a particular moment. Elsewhere, he will say that that prophecy exists to convict and to warn and to lead direct. And then lastly, in this passage, he talks about tongues as building up the church. So look at verse 4 again. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Guys, the gift of prophecy is not given to you for you. It's given to you for others. It's given to you for others. I think there's a number of questions that emerge out of this. Does prophecy constitute new, new revelation? No, if what we mean is revelation according to Scripture. Or that, that's equal with Scripture. Like God declaring something brand new that we've never heard before. That's not what prophecy is. Prophecy is applying the truth that God has revealed in Scripture to specific people in specific situations by the leading of the Spirit in specific situations, or in specific moments. In other words, what God is doing is taking the breath of what he has revealed and bringing that into a moment in a particular way that we might miss otherwise. We are not talking about new revelation comparable to Scripture. We are talking about him bringing us into a specific encounter with Scripture and the truth that he gives us. Does prophecy entail the, uh, telling the future? This is just kind of a, 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 a folk uh, understanding of what prophecy always is. Well, I, I mean, I guess sometimes it does. I mean, I can point you to some points in Acts, and we're not going to go there right now, but, but the reality is like, is that what prophecy generally is now? It's not foretelling. It's telling 
uh, telling what God has, is saying in a moment to a particular person. Here's a good question. I think it's really worth uh, wrestling hard with. Can prophets, in, in the New Testament sense, can prophets make a mistake? You see, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, prophets that missed it in the Old Testament were stoned. So that would kind of cool the jets on all of us thinking, I might have a word from the Lord. If it meant if we were wrong, we're dead, right? That's not what's happening in, in, uh, in this moment. Uh, matter of fact, I, I was alluding to this story in, in Acts just now about Agabus. It was towards the end of Acts, and Paul is on his way heading to Jerusalem. And he, he comes into this town and is meeting with one of the churches on his way to Jerusalem. And one of the prophets there, Agabus, uh, who was a trusted prophet, he had prophesied something earlier in Acts and it had come to be. He was a trusted man of God. And Agabus comes to Paul and he, he, he grabs his belt and he wraps it around his hands and he says, hey, when you get to Jerusalem, you're going to be bound like this by the Jews and you're going to be thrown in prison. And it was really a warning. Agabus, it looks to me like reading the text that Agabus really thought this was a, hey, this is going to happen to you, Paul, so you shouldn't go. And Paul's response to Agabus, I don't know. I mean, he might have, he may have actually made some people angry. Paul's like, yeah, I know. Everywhere I go, every city I go into, the Spirit of God warns me of things that await me. But your prophetic word is not meant that I'm not supposed to go. I'm actually supposed to go. And what's interesting is when you move forward in Acts to what happens, some of the details of what Agabus said were wrong. He talked about who was going to arrest him, who was going to bind him, and, it's, and it actually was, it wasn't the Jews, it was the, the Romans that did that. The Jews were behind it, though. So in the spirit of what was happening, he was right. But in the details, he was wrong. Did that mean that Agabus completely missed it? No. What it means is that Agabus received a, a, a prophetic word from the spirit and, and misapplied it in a moment. And that in the community, there was correction brought. Which leads us to, I think, this last point. How can we know that a word is from God? We're to test them. That's why Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians to test these. To hold them together as a community. To test them against Scripture. And to trust the Spirit to work among us. So what's happening when we prophesy? When people are, are, are walking in the gift of prophecy, they are starting by practicing how, in learning how to listen to God on a regular basis. Some of the, some of the people that I know that, that are the, the most prophetically gifted are just constantly praying and asking the God, are you saying something to somebody around me? And he will often, he'll often give them words to share with people that are encouraging. Words of exhortation, words of encouragement. But they're listening to God. When we approach prophecy from a, from a right posture, we approach it with a posture of humility. We're not here trying to show off, hey, look, look at how much God speaks to me. You should trust me, listen to me. It's actually pursued with humility. I think the Lord might be saying this, and let's test that against Scripture. We're submitting what we are sensing or hearing or seeing to Scripture and to the community. And then whenever we speak, we speak with love and a willingness to risk. With love and a willingness to risk. I say with love because the whole part, the center of this chapters 12 to 14 is this chapter on love. He says that I can speak in all these kind of prophetic words. I can speak in all these tongues, but if I have no love, I'm nothing but a noisy gong. I'm, I'm useless to anybody. Love is central to if I am pursuing gifts out of self-love, that's completely inappropriate. 
I'm pursuing gifts in order to love and serve others, but it's also going to require a little bit of stepping out by faith and risking. Hey, I think God might be saying this. Let's pray about it. We'll talk a little bit more about this next week. But I've heard some people say, we don't really need prophecy because God gave us the Bible. It's a good compass. It'll get me where I want to go. And I want to say this, that I think the promise of spiritual gifts is to remind us that we don't just need a compass, we need a guide. And the Spirit is our guide. The Spirit is the one that leads us. So why do we pursue these? If these are good gifts from a good God, and I believe that they are, then what does it look like for us, Frontline Yukon, to pursue these gifts? Look at verse 5. I want you to hear what Paul says here. Now I want you all to speak in tongues. He doesn't, he doesn't mince words here. But even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets. We're going to deal with that next week. So that the church may be built up. So why does God, Paul make such a big deal about these gifts? Because he has experienced them as grace to him. He's experienced the grace of God appearing in his life and manifesting in his life through gifts generally, but through these two gifts specifically. Paul will say in verse 18, I'm glad I speak in tongues more than all of you. And he's not saying that to brag. He's saying this, I've seen this as a good gift and I want you to have it. Why does he make such a big deal about prophecy? It's because we need scripture, yes, but we need scripture applied to the particulars of our life. And I'm not smart enough to do that. It's above my pay grade. I can't see into the souls of people around me, but God does. And sometimes God will speak through me or through some of you to move towards somebody and say, I think God wants to remind you of this today. Now, if you're wondering, does this mean that all of a sudden, like, Frontline is um, heading in a bunch of directions you didn't anticipate? Let me just tell you, Frontline has been committed to this pursuit of these gifts and the exercise of these gifts since we started 18 years ago. Now, maybe it looks like you've experienced gifts in the past. Maybe it doesn't. But this is nothing new for our church. But there come moments when we need to stop and go, hey, let's remember that this is something we're supposed to pursue together. So why should we pursue these things together? I got three things. The first is that these gifts are good for us because they, are, because, um, they bring us into communion and presence. Communion and presence. You see, God is not a distant God caught up in watching the game in some back room and unaware of what's happening in life. He's not a God who, who spun everything, created everything, and then walked off and got a sandwich and just kind of gave up on it. That's not how God is. God is involved. God is present. When Jesus says, I'm sending the Spirit that I might be with you, he means he's, he, God, is with us by the Spirit. We commune with him. We speak with him. This is why he uses relational language like Father. He's a father to us, a good father. And we are his children. He speaks in those ways because we are to relate to him in these ways. We are to commune with him. And his presence is our life. Can I just remind you that some of the most important things in the way that relate to one another transcend language that we can articulate. How many times have you ran out of words to explain or express some encounter, some experience, or some relationship, probably pretty often. 
there are moments when we just don't have the words to express what's going on in a moment. The second thing, these gifts are important to us because they bring us embodiment and encounter. Embodiment and encounter. I say embodiment because of this. I think there, there, there is this tendency sometimes to say, oh, I'm going to leave the spiritual stuff over here and the physical stuff over there, and the, the two just shouldn't touch each other. And Paul, actually here in a couple of verses, is going to go, hey, I want you to pray in tongues, and I want you to pray with your mind. I want you to pray with your spirit. I want you to pray with your mind. I want you to pursue these things from a deep soul level, and I want you to pursue them physically. That we actually are to embody these things in our day-to-day life. These things are not meant to be things that are just off in a distance. We're actually to be experienced. We are deeply spiritual beings, body and soul. And so these things need to be embodied. This is, I think, the why the Paul uses the language of the manifestations of the Spirit in chapter 12. He's saying that the Spirit exists and the Spirit is working. And sometimes we need manifestations to look and see what he's doing among us. These are manifestations of the Spirit. It's also a sense of encounter with the transcendent. Encounter with the transcendent. Uh, philosopher Charles Taylor talks about the dan- one of the dangers of our secular society has been that it has, it has taken all the immediate things that happen in life, all of our concerns of life and our, our attempts to, to control life have grown so much in our view that we can't see past it to see the transcendent. We can't see God because I'm so surrounded by the immediate. He calls it the eclipse of the transcendent. He goes, what we need is an encounter with the divine that drops the eclipse and we begin to see clearly God as he is. I think these gifts are ways in which that reality is embodied and it's ways in which that his love and his grace is experienced. We experience the transcendent one. And then lastly, I think what this stirs in us is dependency and faith. Guys, you're not smart enough, you're not strong enough. God didn't just give you a couple of tips and a couple of tools and said, go, hope it goes well for you. He says, I will be with you until the very end of the age. We are dependent people. We need the spirit. There are times I hit the limits of what I can do and I need him. And, and, and what that's going to do is it's, as, I, as I become dependent on him, my faith in him grows. My expectation for what he'll do grows. That's a beautiful thing. That's what we need. We need Frontline Yukon to hear from God. We need God to help us know how to pray. We need, we need God by his spirit to meet us in moments of profound sorrow and profound joy. These gifts are for us to encounter him and to, to encounter him in a way that stirs our faith. I love it the way that James K. Smith talks about this in um, the end of his book. Um, I can't remember which, yeah, one of his books. He talks about the spirit-filled life as a radical openness to divine surprises. A radical openness to divine surprises. Guys, hey, can I, can I just say this very clearly? If God never surprises you, you're not seeing him. If you think you got him contained in a box, it's not God you have contained in a box. 
If you think you fully understand how he operates, I'm just telling you, you have a messed up view of who God is. He will surprise you because you can't contain him. But I also want us to remember, he's not here for spectacle. He's here for our life. He's here to meet us in the moments in life where we are desperate, in desperate need of grace. So friends, what does radical openness look like? At this, I'm going to ask you to stand. I go back to what I said earlier about my experiences with the, the gifts early on. Years later, I looked back on my, the posture of my heart and the posture of my soul towards the gifts. And the only way I know how to explain it is I was, I was approaching God's gifts kind of leaned back, arms crossed, essentially telling God, prove it that they're good. Prove it. If these gifts are meant for us, if these good gifts are good for me, then prove it. But you can tell from this posture, I'm not really interested. And that was the, that was the posture of my heart. And I say that to, to my shame. But over time, and it took a long time for me. I'm hard-headed. begin to find my arms start to uncross, my palms begin to open, and my posture begin to lean forward and go, okay, God, if these are good gifts, I, I want to want them, and then I begin to want them. And that posture of simply opening up my hands going, God, if you have a good gift to give me, I want to receive it, is a posture that we all need to have. And it's a posture I'm asking us to have as we move forward. Now, you might be skeptical, and that's okay. You might have lots of questions. That's fine. So do I. We can engage them together. But if we as a church begin to say, that sounds good, Paul, and then stiff arm these gifts, then what are we doing to the goodness of God? What if instead we open our hands and we say, God, would you give me these gifts? I wish I had time to just tell stories of the way that God has shown up, not just in gifts generally, but in these two gifts specifically in our church and in my life. Prophetic words that I've received that I was like, hang on, what? What just happened? I needed that in that moment. And I'll be honest, like I'm still trying to move towards tongues again because I felt burnt early on. And I've, but there are moments when I'm praying, I'm like, I don't know what else to pray. And I begin to pray in tongues. And, I, and, and, and what I encounter in that moment is something I can't explain. I can just experience it. It's God's grace. His goodness. So I'm asking us to pursue this together. Not just for the next three weeks as we're in 1 Corinthians 14, but for the coming years. That we might be a church that's radically open to the surprises of God. And a people that are eager to receive good gifts from our good God. Would you pray with me?